Welcome to Church at Home. I'm Pastor Jacob Aranza, and along with my beautiful wife, Michelle, it's been our privilege to lead our Savior's Church for 21 years, along with our six pastors that are stretched all the way from New Iberia to Opelousas, all across Acadiana, and different other churches throughout the state. We began a series three weeks ago called Hope Has a Name. In our first week, we talked about the hope of Abraham. In our second week, we talked about hope in the fire with the three Hebrew children. Today, I'd like to talk to you out of an amazing passage about the hope of forgiveness. Yes, forgiveness. Probably the most wonderful commodity to have from someone else and the most difficult commodity to give to someone else. Because you and I know there's nothing more wonderful than peace and harmony with the nearest and dearest relationships to you. Whether it's you and your mate, whether it's you and a best friend, whether it's you and your extended family, it's what we love about Easter, Christmas, vacations, festivals, and a Sunday afternoon dinner after church with our loved ones. But broken relationships leave these moments with deep valleys of disappointment and heartache. All of us wanting to make those relationships right again. So I have a question for you today. How do you make relationships right when you're certain the other person is going to wrong you again? You see, man not only has a sin problem, which the Bible reveals very clearly from the beginning in the garden, it also, man has a, I'm going to do it again problem. If relationships are based upon deposits and withdrawals, we all know we're going to sin again. How can anyone have a relationship with God, the God who never sins? So how can we have peace in our relationship with him when he knows that we're going to sin again and again and again and again? You see, he not only knows our past sins that we've committed, current sin that we may be committing now, but he also knows future sins that we are yet to commit. Imagine that. Imagine someone asking you to forgive them for something they've done that hurt you or someone that you love, knowing all the while that they were going to sin again against you in the future. So here's my question. How can we have hope for forgiveness? How can a perfect God have a perfect relationship with imperfect people like you and me? This revelation came to me early on in my Christian faith. As a matter of fact, when I gave my life to Christ, you've heard this story. Those of you who know our Savior's church or this region that, that, that I came to Christ in the Mexican ghetto of Houston, an African-American counselor prayed with me in my junior high school and a spiritual awakening in my school and a thousand students gave their life to Christ. It was a movement then sweeping across the nation called the Jesus Movement. God immediately delivered me from the desire for drugs and the desire for immorality. I had been in street gangs. I immediately went, let all my friends know that I wasn't going to be going back and hanging out with them. And at the time that I was around them, I wouldn't be doing the things that I did before. I was so bold and, and God gave me so much grace and strength in those early days. I can remember the day walking home. I'd probably been now a born again Christian in about three weeks. 
and I'm walking home and a friend is walking beside me. And and one of the big struggles at that moment in my life, it was easy somehow to give up immorality. It was easy to give up other illicit drugs that I was doing. But the weakness that I had was smoking. And, and that seemed to be a daily battle, just smoking cigarettes. It started when I was nine years old. Some of you know. And, 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 and it, when, when someone around you would smoke and they'd blow out, you know, just you would just kind of start inhaling through your nose to get that deep sensation that you remember when you would smoke and take that deep drag and it would burn your chest. And I'm walking home beside this guy and he goes, hey, Jacob, you want a cigarette? And one voice I heard said, don't do that. You, you know you've laid that down. You, you know that's a struggle. And another voice said, one cigarette won't hurt anything. Come on, it's just one cigarette. God understands. So he reached over and he handed me a cigarette and I lit it up. And I took that first deep drag. For those of you that are smokers, you understand. For those of you that are not, you don't ever want to experience this. And I took that first, that burning in my chest, and I let it out. And when I did, the same direction of the voice that said, one won't hurt, God understands, I began to hear another voice. You failure. You said that you were changing. You said that you were giving up your past ways. You said that cigarettes were something you'd given to God. You might as well go back to the way you were before. All of this conversation is going on in my mind. And my friend looks at me and goes, hey, Jacob, you see, you see that apartment right there? I said, yeah. He said, that's a friend of mine. and He's having a party there tonight. Let's go check out what's going on. So I said, okay. We walked up. The, the, the platform of the stairs, walked up to the second story where his apartments were. He knocked on the door and it was almost like a beer commercial. He opened up the door and there was music playing and he opened up the refrigerator and it was stocked with alcohol. And I was trapped. I'd already bought the lie. I'd already taken it hook, line and sinker. First with one little part doesn't hurt. Then it was, you're terrible. You might as well go back to the way you were before. We began drinking. I remembered that I had left some drugs at my house before when I gave my life to Christ. I went and got that. And now, in a matter of three hours, this person who had begun to read this book and it had so transformed his life by being born again and the resurrected power of Christ coming inside of me and raising me from the spiritually dead, now, it was over. My friend left and I laid there on the couch alone. Music was playing in the background. Jimi Hendrix, ELO, for those of you who can remember those days. And while I was laying there, thinking about how I'd blown it, I was thinking about what my brother said when I told him Christ had changed my life. And he said, it won't last six months. I was thinking about the other people that told me, you're just a Jesus freak. This is just a phase you're going through. You'll get over it. And I was thinking about how right they now were. And while I was laying on that couch, thinking they were right, I'm a mess. I've fallen away from God. I, 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 I have nothing to bring him. Look at what I've done. I heard a voice. 
It wasn't an audible voice, but it didn't matter. It could have been audible. The voice said this, Jacob, I love you. I forgave you once and I'll forgive you again. Even now, as I say that, I get the three songs right now. I remember that moment. It was a pivotal moment of my spiritual journey because that day I learned the difference between the voice I wanted to listen to and the voice I didn't want to listen to. And I realized that it was all based upon my actions. Failure was inevitable. That day, I learned a great revelation. And it's one I want to share with you today. You see, when we began two weeks ago speaking about Abraham, Abraham is called the father of faith. How did he get that title, the father of faith? Well, in his 70s, God spoke to him and said, you are going to have a son and I am changing your name from Abram to Abraham and you're going to be the father of many nations. That's what Abraham means. Yet still, he was fatherless. He had no children. And now, he would wait, trusting the promise of God, waiting for God to fulfill what he had promised he and his wife, Sarah, that they would have a child. You see, he was in his 70s, but she was 10 years younger. She was in her 60s, still past childbearing age. Then came the 80s, still no child. Then came the 90s, still no child. But the Bible says that Abraham continued to believe God. That's why he's called the father of faith. And then at 99 years of age, his wife, Sarah, in her 80s, conceived. And at 100 years of age, Abraham's promise was fulfilled. Almost 30 years later, you see, Abraham not only had strong faith, he had long faith. Faith that would carry him. And that's why he's called the father of faith. And that's why the revelation of coming into relationship with God, not based upon your works, whether you're going to fail or not, but based upon faith, became the game changer for all mankind. Romans 4.22 says it like this. So now you can see why Abraham's faith was credited to his account as righteousness before God. And this declaration was not just spoken over Abraham, but also over us. For we, when we believe and embrace the one who brought our Lord Jesus back to life, perfect righteousness will be credited to our account as well. Jesus was handed over to be crucified for our forgiveness of sins and was raised to life to prove that he had made us right with God. Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us. And he now declares us, listen, faultless in his eyes. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God and all because of our Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed one, and what he has done for us. Our faith guarantees us, listen to this, guarantees us permanent access to this marvelous kindness that he's given to us in a perfect relationship with God. A perfect relationship with God. 
What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. Today, out of this passage, I want to share four powerful truths with you about our hope in forgiveness. Number one, this passage tells us we have access to God by faith. That's right, by faith. Ever since the fall in the garden, God only had one desire for man, and that was that he would trust God, that he would have faith in him. As a matter of fact, that's why that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, was placed there. Even though there were so many other trees there, there was one tree that was a tree of temptation. And what God wanted was man to have faith and to trust that if God said it was not good for him, then it wasn't good for him. Verse 24 says this, For when we believe and embrace the one who brought our Lord Jesus back to life, perfect righteousness will be credited to our account as well. Think about that. Relationships are usually based on deposits and withdrawals. But the basis of this relationship has changed from what I do, my own personal deposits, to the death, burial, and resurrection of the cross of Jesus Christ and this finished work that when he said it is finished, he paid for your sin and my sin, for your forgiveness and my forgiveness, past, present, and future for all eternity. You see, faith gives me access to everything Jesus paid for on the cross and he deposits it into my spiritual bank account, into your spiritual bank account. All of Jesus' righteousness was deposited to you. Verse 5, chapter 5, verse 1 says this, our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us. Imagine that you were overdrawn. I know you've been overdrawn. I've been overdrawn before. Imagine that, that you were severely overdrawn. Imagine you were overdrawn to the tune of thousands, maybe millions, maybe multi-millions. And somehow, Bill Gates heard about your plight, had compassion on you, and paid off all of your debt. Man, how amazing would that be? How amazing would that be? But you see, Jesus not only paid for your debt, He also deposited in your spiritual bank account the gift of righteousness. You see, if this is based on anything but faith, I will eventually fail. But it's not. It's based upon faith, which is all God has ever wanted from the Garden of Eden to today for you and me. So number one, We have access to God, not by our works, not by our deposits of what we've done, but by the deposit of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross for you and me. One old song says it like this. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, all day long. For Jesus has washed my sins 
away. Secondly, we stand in his grace. We stand in his grace. As I speak to you right now, I'm standing in our empty sanctuary, longing for you to be here, longing to hug you, longing to see you, longing to hear some of you say, that's good, pastor. That's good preaching, pastor, for some of you to laugh and to clap or to hug or to shake your hand. But I'm standing on a platform. The reason that I'm standing on the platform is because only on this platform can the lights touch me and give you the view that you need. If I was in any other place in this building, you would see a dark spot moving around. I'm already a dark spot, so that's got issues, but you would just see a dark spot moving around. But when I stand on this platform, you can see me clearly. You and I stand before the living God in his grace because of Jesus. Chapter five, verse one says this, he now declares us flawless in his eyes. Let me say that again. God now looks at you and me because of Jesus and says, they're flawless. I see no imperfections. You ever heard a mama look at a grown child that you knew or maybe grew up with or knew about and heard him say, well, that, that boy never gave me a day's trouble his whole life. That girl was perfect all of her life. And maybe you knew them and you look and went, really? Only a mama could say that. But imagine being able to stand flawless before the God of the universe who knows all. The Amplified Version And verse 2 says it like this, Through him we have access by faith into this remarkable state of grace in which we firmly and safely and securely stand. We stand. Have you ever heard the term, someone has fallen from grace? Do you know that term is only used one time in the Bible? And do you know when it's used? When people in Galatians tried to go back and do religious works to make themselves right before God. So they were trying to say, I'm going to do something that makes me right before God versus trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross that brought forgiveness of sins and then brings you before God to declare you righteous. My favorite acronym for grace that is so precious is G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. That means he paid for it and it was a gift so you could have it. On a practical basis, let me tell you what that means for you as a child of God. It means that when God sees me, he sees Jesus. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, they become a new creation. I am in Christ. And when God sees me, he sees Jesus. Right now, I'm in this church building. Somebody might be driving by this church building and they don't see me because they see the church. When God sees me, he sees Jesus first. Would you say that with me? When God sees me, he sees Jesus first. You see, because of what Christ did in this amazing gift of forgiveness and grace and faith, it simply means that my sins are forgiven and then his righteousness is given. 
In other words, it's Bill Gates paying for your debt and then saying, look, I have an overdraft protection program for him. It's connected to my bank account. And if he ever gets overdrawn, it goes straight to me. Here's the third thing we understand. Not only do we have access by faith, not only do we stand by grace, we get to rest in his peace. You you see, when you know that your spiritual journey is not all predicated on what you can do, but on Christ, what he has done, you get to rest. You get to rest. How valuable is peace with the people that we love the most? How valuable is that? How many times have you or I gone to bed and, and, and had just things in our heart where we were just torn because we weren't at peace? Maybe it wasn't somebody you didn't need to, didn't need to forgive, but just there wasn't peace between you and someone else. How valuable then is to have lasting peace with God? Peace that's not predicated on your actions, but on His. Chapter 5, verse 1 in one translation says this. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God. All because of what the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. Have you ever heard it said, oh, that person's a perfectionist. You could never please them. Do you realize that you and I get to have true and lasting peace? with the only one who is perfect, God himself. We get lasting peace with the only one who is perfect, God himself. What a priceless, glorious gift purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. We don't have to strive for it. All we have to do is rest in it. He bought it. And he gave it to us as a true and a lasting gift. Peace. The same peace he has with his father. Not only do we have access by faith, stand in grace, rest in his peace. Finally, we get to rejoice in the hope of his glory. Listen to what the scripture says. This marvelous kindness that has given to us a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating the hope of experiencing God's glory. You see, my status before God can never change. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? Once I am a born-again child of God and Christ comes to live inside of me and the old me died and the new me is resurrected from the dead, that's what happens when I'm born again. That status can never, ever, ever, ever change. Never change. You see, God's original plan in the garden was the daily walk with man. From man who was created in his image to enjoy his father. As a matter of fact, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of terrible rumors about God. So, so let me answer many of those rumors with one great profound truth from this word. Do, do you know why God created you? Well, you know. Do you know why God created you? 
Someone said, if, if you don't know why something was created, you, you always abuse it. Do you know why God created you? Why he created me? Maybe some parents are watching right now. Maybe your children over beside you. Do, do you. do you remember when when you were engaged or getting ready to get married or maybe you just got married and you, you kind of secured some things in your life and you looked over at your mate and you said, hey, it's time for children. Well, why, why did you want children? Did you want diapers to change? Were you tired of sleeping through the night? Were you wanting to hire babysitters? Did you want to make an investment in Pampers? Did you like teething? Well, what is it that you desired? Can I tell you what it was? You wanted someone to share your life with. You wanted someone to share your life with. Do you know why God created man? And do you know why God created you? because he longs to share his great life with you. He longs to share his great life with you. That is man returning to the original design, him reflecting the glory of God and enjoying it to the fullest. You know, there are moments in our spiritual journey, maybe you've experienced them right here at our Savior's church, or maybe you've experienced them at home. Or maybe you were reading or praying or listening to worship music, driving in your car. And all of a sudden, it just seemed as though God was near. You know he's always with you, but somehow that, that tangible sense of the presence of God, you know what you were experiencing? The glory of God. The glory of God. When people have these near-death experiences and go and, 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 and then they come back and they go, we didn't want to come back. What did they experience? They experienced the glory of God. You see, God is with me and God is in me. And most wonderfully, when God sees me, he sees Jesus, his glory, his glory. That's what gives me hope for my sin and hope for my situation. It's called forgiveness. As a matter of fact, absolute forgiveness is so unbelievable, most people don't believe it to receive it. They don't believe it to receive it. But one day, this great glory that Jesus has, that at moments we sense and experience is going to be revealed to us in its fullness. Can I read you the passage that tells us that? In 1 John 3, 2, it says, Beloved, we are even here and now children of God. And it's not yet made clear what we shall be after his coming. But we know this, when he comes again and he is revealed, we will, as his children, be like him, for we shall see him as he is in all his glory. You know what's so wonderful about Jesus? He doesn't want to experience anything that he doesn't want you to share in with him as well, starting with his relationship with the Father, all the way to one day becoming just like him. Today, we hope in this great forgiveness 
for four reasons. Because we have access to God by faith. Because we stand in his grace. Because we rest in his peace. And because we rejoice in the hope of his glory. One day, I won't struggle with bad thoughts. One day, I won't struggle with depression or fear. One day, addictions won't pull at me. Fear of man won't pull at me. One day, I will be just like him. And what a day that will be. You see, that's the promise for every born-again child of God. So I want to ask you as we close today, the most important question in life. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, what does that mean? Well, Jesus in John 3, 3 was talking to a very religious man, a Jewish teacher of the law. His name was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus came to him and said, Jesus, I know that you are a teacher who has come from God because no one could do the miracles that you're doing unless God was with him. And Jesus looked at him and said, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he can't see the kingdom of heaven. Unless a man is born again, he can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus, trying to understand what he said, said, Jesus, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he go back a second time into his mother? And Jesus said, no, Nicodemus. What's born of the flesh is of the flesh, but what's born of the spirit is of the spirit. Spiritually, you must be born again. You might say, well, pastor, I've been christened. I've been baptized. I've joined the church. I sing in the choir. Isn't that good enough? Hey, that's a great start. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, you must be born again. You say, pastor, how does that happen? It happens three ways. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. You see, somebody had to pay for your sin. Either you trust that he died for it and he faced hell for you or you die for it and you go to hell because you refused to let him pay for it. Somebody's going to pay for it. It's either Jesus or you. And see, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again. Hey, I prayed for that to happen in my life in 1971 with an African-American counselor in Jackson Junior High School. From that day, I've had many steps in my spiritual journey. One I told you about today, the first big low moment. But my life's never been the same since that day because that day, Jesus raised me from the spiritually dead. My name that day, the Bible says, was written in a book called the Book of Life. And one day when I stand before God, he will open up that book and there my name will be. Would you like to be born again today? I want to pray a prayer with you. A prayer we pray each weekend with hundreds of people who begin their spiritual journey by being born again. Would you bow with me right there in your home? Right there where you are. 
And I want you to repeat each line right after me, quietly. Dear Lord Jesus, if you're by yourself, say it out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe it on the cross. You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. So today, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. Come on, say it with me. And I am born again in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed to be born again with Pastor Jacob, congratulations. Listen, we'd love to help you on the next step of your journey. All you have to do is text the word Connect OSC to the number 41411. Someone from our team is going to reach out to you, and we want to help you take your very next step. Thank you again for your generosity during this crucial time. If you'd like to give or haven't had the opportunity to give, you can text the word OSC family to the number 77977 or go to OurSaviorsChurch.com, click give, or you can always mail it to the address on your screen. And don't forget to join us on Facebook Live tonight as we pray to eradicate COVID-19 at 7.14 p.m. Facebook Live. Thanks again. God bless, and we'll see you next week.